0: Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Evan. We are in the book of Matthew today, Matthew 3, 1 through 17, to be precise, is where we're at. And I invite you to find Matthew 3. It'll also be on the screen. We're talking about the baptism of Jesus today, and it's going to talk in, it's we're going to move into remembering our own baptism or considering baptism yourself if you haven't been. All 17 verses of, of this passage we're going to read. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of key things happen in John the Baptist's message first before we get to the baptism of Jesus that I think are worth noting. The first is that word repentance is brought up uh, throughout. That's what John's baptism was, a baptism of repentance, turning from that which is opposed to God towards that which is for God, basically. There's more to it, but that's the simple two-step of repentance. The winnowing fork he talks about is in his hand. That is, judgment, the sorting process of judgment is already being initiated, he says. And in the sense of the winnowing fork, they're talking about threshing and the threshing floor. In the ancient world, the way to get the head of the grain out of the actual uh, top of the grain and get the chaff off was to throw it on the ground, usually in a high place, in a circular area, and either walk on it as people, and you crush the grain underfoot, um, or have animals do it. Take the winnowing fork and you throw it in the air, usually at the windier part of the day, end of the day often, but not exclusively. And that, when it goes up in the air, the light chaff blows away, heavy grain falls down, and you've separated the wheat from the chaff. That's what John is saying God is doing. Pardon me. The message is, if you don't repent, if you don't turn to what God is doing, now you're going to miss out. And the judgment is going to be that you'll be like the chaff blowing in the wind. When we get to the idea of repentance, so if we can bring, bring it back to that for a moment, understanding what John is saying, you need to repent or else this is what happens. Jesus then comes to be baptized by John, and we're confronted with the question, even John himself is thinking the question, does Jesus need to repent? Why is he here? Why is he doing this? And I want to give you three verses because I think it's really important to recognize that Jesus did not need to repent. John recognizes that. But I want to give you three verses because this is a lost fact in our culture that we need to be solid on as far as facts go. 1 Peter 2.22, it's quoting Isaiah 53, which was talking about the suffering servant. Peter is clearly saying, this is Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. A person needs to repent when they've committed sin, when they've done something that's contrary to the will of God, however that may have happened. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And, And keep this in mind as we get to the why of Jesus' baptism, that here we have in Jesus, somebody who can identify with the struggles and the difficulties that we face as humans and understand the experience of humans because he became one, but he didn't do the sin stuff. He didn't do things opposed to God as a human. But he understands temptation. He understands what we go through because he's been there. And First John 3, 5, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. This is important to remember. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus didn't need to repent. In fact, if he needed to sin, if he did sin, then everything that he did is totally useless for our salvation. It all hinges on the fact that he didn't sin. Now, I want to look then, understanding that. I want to look at Jesus' baptism and the why of Jesus' baptism. We're going to give four reasons, but you could certainly come up with more than that. Well, I want to recognize the call then that comes, which is really the fourth reason of Jesus' baptism, the call that is given on us through Jesus' baptism and beyond. And then I want to take time at the end of the sermon and then at the end of the service to remember your own baptism. If you've been baptized, there will be opportunity given to both renew those baptism vows, which I think we need to do with regularity, and at the end of the service to even touch the water if you want. That's where we're going. So let's talk about why was Jesus baptized. And uh, this actually, I want to just point out a personal note. Uh, When we do confirmation with our 7th and 8th graders and middle school Bible study, or middle school youth group, we hit Jesus' baptism recently within the last two weeks. We're about to eat crickets, by the way, um, because they were curious about that. So we got some toasted crickets. If anybody wants some, they're in my office. But um, that's John the Baptist, by the way, not Jesus' baptism, but... I love when we get to that because it's it's so mesmerizing that Jesus did this. It's so fascinating that he would identify with us in this way. And that's the first reason that Jesus was baptized that we can discern is to identify with humanity. Why was Jesus baptized? To show that he's one of us. There's more to it, but that's at least where it starts. And, And when we consider that Jesus didn't need to repent, but we do, and when we consider that, that we needed him to be sinless in order to take on our sin, and we'll get to that too in a moment, what we have to recognize is that when we have sinned, which we all have, and, and sin just gets worse, and the problem of sin just gets worse, not better, without God's intervention, there's something that needs to be repaired, actually needs to be repaired in sin that Jesus is doing. And so I want to give a, a little, uh, I think, a nice example from uh, this book by John Stackhouse called, Can God Be Trusted? Faith in the Challenge of Evil. And he tells this story in here, a fictitious story of little Daryl. It's cute, but I think it gets the point across. He says this, Little Daryl has been told many times by his mother not to touch her fine linen tablecloth. But Daryl loves to crawl up on one of the dining room chairs to gaze down at this vacant canvas. One day he succumbs to its allure. He can certainly improve upon that blank expanse. He jumps down, fetches his crayons from the bedroom, and proceeds back to the table to get to work on his magnum opus. An hour later, his horrified mother shrieks as she enters the dining room to see Daryl's ornamentation extending from one end to the other of the family heirloom. Daryl, recognizing at once that he has disobeyed and upset his mother, whom he loves— bursts into tears and cries out, I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He runs toward her and buries his head in her legs, sobbing out his repentance. Daryl's mother is an unusually good person and immediately drops to her knees to hug him. That's okay, honey, she whispers. That's okay. I forgive you. So the offender, Daryl, has repented. His mother, the offended, has forgiven him, and their relationship is mended in mutual love. But the tablecloth itself, his mother's treasured possession, remains ruined. Daryl has done damage, and that damage is to his mother, regardless of her forgiving him. The Bible speaks of sin this way, not just as a rupture in a relationship, but as an objective state of affairs that requires Reparation. In Matthew 3.15, Jesus gives the, the, the red letters, if you have red letters in yours, uh, the one moment in Jesus' baptism where he speaks, he says, Let it be so now it is proper for us uh, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus isn't at the point of forgiving our sin here, but he's doing something necessary. In Jesus, we have God and a human body, both God and human. Come together, somehow and mysteriously. To fulfill all righteousness means he's going to be obedient to the will of the Father. This action somehow is obedient to what God has in store for him to do. And he's going to follow through. And in doing so, and identifying with us, he's taking on something at that point that only he can take on to mend what's broken through sin. Isaiah 53, we've already actually heard from that this morning. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. If a sinless human who identifies with us becomes human, He's also God with us, not just human. Second thing we can say of why Jesus was baptized is it was to inaugurate his ministry. Start it. John, back in Matthew 3.2, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus, after his temptation after this in the wilderness, he, he's baptized, he's tempted in the wilderness, and then he begins to preach. And the first thing he says when he preaches is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Sounds exactly like John. Something's happening. Jesus begins, even as he's born, fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah. He's obviously recognized as the Messiah by John. We'll come to that in a moment. But in doing this, he's announcing the the beginning of the kingdom of God. It's here. With me. You don't need to prepare for it anymore with the baptism of repentance. It's already here. I'm already starting it. And he begins his ministry by by quoting from Isaiah, and then he begins by giving the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Then he goes around and does it. He speaks parables and says, the kingdom of God is like this, or that, or the other. And he begins to do his mighty deeds. He touches people, and they're healed. This is what the kingdom of God is. He speaks, and they can walk. He releases them. And the power of demons. He has power over creation. He tells us what it is, then he shows us what it is, and he points with signs saying, the fullness of the kingdom of God is here, but guess what? It's already started with me. Third thing and reason for Jesus' baptism is it reveals his anointing, his messiahship, which goes with the previous one. Craig Blomberg, the New Testament scholar, says God used this occasion, the baptism, to testify with a heavenly voice to Jesus' identity. Jesus is God's son, the one whom Isaiah called Emmanuel, God with us. Baptism identifies him clearly as that person. I don't know if you've ever paused when you... I mean, Scripture is God-breathed, so we're reading God's revelation to us. But every so often you get to these words, whether it's in the prophets or right here at the end of our passage, verse 17 where you're kind of getting the direct, direct voice of God. I don't know if you ever pause after that and just stop and dwell in it for a while. This is my Son, whom I well-pleased. But God has revealed in Jesus that this is the one He's chosen to repair the world for salvation. If you look at the baptism of Jesus in the Gospels, It's in all four, although when John comes out, it's a little bit different, but John does that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's definitely there, and Matthew's kind of the longer of the the others like it. And when it's presented, it's not entirely clear, as you put it together, how many people heard the voice of God speak at the end of all this and saw this going on. It seems pretty clear that John did, and probable that many others did too, but even if we just knew John saw it, I want us to focus on something about him. Um, John is cousins with Jesus. They obviously had some connection. We're not sure, even before this, how much John knew about the fullness of who Jesus was. But he obviously has some clue. Now, you're, I'm not supposed to baptize you. You're supposed to baptize me. He knows something's there. But we're not sure how much he knows of that until, of course, he baptizes him. And this is where the book of John, by the way, if you read it in John, he clearly gets it after the baptism of Jesus. And once John learned who Jesus was, once John had gone through the experience of of the baptism of Jesus and seen clearly who Jesus was, he didn't stop telling others. He just kept going around sharing that message with anybody. There's the Lamb of God. He keeps pointing, there he is. And I want us to just reflect on that for a moment, if we can have a pause and reflect on that. Jesus does all these mighty deeds and these signs. People see that. For those of us in the room online, a whole host of us have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ in our own lives. What prevents us from revealing that transformation to others? John doesn't stop talking about it. If Jesus has transformed us, what can we learn from John on that? What would prevent us from stopping talking about the transformation Jesus has done in us? Finally, why was Jesus baptized? The fourth point. It's a call to follow. It's actually an invitation to follow Jesus Christ. John's baptism was the preparation for the Messiah. Now the Messiah comes. He says, I've been baptized. Boom, let's do the next phase. We're moving on. The kingdom of God is here. The voice is called out. Make straight the paths. Now we hit the destination of that part of it. Now the Messiah has arrived. Follow him. That's what's supposed to happen. And so I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit as we consider that invitation that Jesus gives us. Because we're supposed to become his people. The baptism that Jesus... Uh, puts at the end of his ministry is not the same one that John gives at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They're different baptisms. One's a preparation. It's done. The one that Jesus provides at the end, and says, Bab- go and make disciples, and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is our invitation. It's not our invitation to new life in Christ as to be marked as his people who have that new life. That's what baptism is doing. What Jesus has done on the cross... Is take on our sin so that we can be free in His and new creations. Second Corinthians five twenty one, for instance, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't mean He sinned; it just means He took on the penalty and the consequence, so that we don't have to. If we say yes to Jesus, this is part of where the transformation begins. This is a gift, a tremendous gift. But First Peter one eighteen through nineteen. We can add to this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, uh, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was perfect. He became sin, so we didn't have to face that consequence and could be forgiven. He came to fulfill all righteousness, to be obedient to the Father, and he calls us to the exact same thing, to be obedient to the father. And if we consider what baptism is then doing, if we consider that we become a new creation in him individually, and consider what baptism is doing, let's let's go through a couple just a couple points about baptism. Does baptism save? I don't think you'll find biblical evidence for that that it saves. Can we get to heaven without it? Sure. I'm pretty sure you can make that biblical argument pretty straightforwardly. But I think it's getting at something else when we're talking about baptism. If in Christ we become a new creation, and if by default we become part of his church, his people, if God's making a new people through his kingdom, not just a new person individually, why would we say no to God's work in that way? And by being baptized, we're saying yes. We're saying yes to what God is doing far beyond us. The reality is Jesus came as God in a body to make a new people, not simply a new person. And baptism is a response to God's work of making that new people. Baptism is an act that proclaims, these are my people, and it is only by the grace of God that I can be a member. I want to focus then on the promises that we make In the act of baptism, obviously we're not giving an exhaustive anything on baptism today. There's way too much for one sermon. You can thank me later. Uh, The the promises that we make in baptism, though, I'd like to go through those that we we make within the covenant. They're not going to be that different from other denominations. I'd like to make a few points, and then I'd like to have us take time at the end. And if you want to reaffirm your baptism from your seat, we'll say the same questions. You're free to answer them free to refrain if you haven't been baptized or if you're not willing to, if you don't want to re- renew those, that's fine. The first question, though, that we ask in baptism, which fits with the biblical picture of what Jesus commanded is, do you now desire to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's important to recognize that in baptism, it's a work that precedes any action on our part. The work in, in baptism is something, is the grace of God that was already there and present and being offered to us. Not something we manufactured, not something we created, not something we concocted, and not simply because all of a sudden we decided, we realized, oh, God's up to something. No, God was already up to something. We're responding to that in baptism. And I'll point out, as we said, does baptism save? I I find nobody, and I had a conversation with somebody this week from another evangelical tradition. We had a casual conversation about it, among other things. Um, but I find nobody in evangelical circles that would ever claim that baptism saves. You'll find some people that, some traditions, Christian traditions that do, we don't say that. I don't think the biblical evidence is there for it. What we believe is that in saying yes to this, we're saying yes to the grace of Jesus Christ that makes us a new people. Second promise that we make in baptism is proclaiming this covenant with Jesus Christ Do you renounce all the powers of evil and declare your opposition to a way of life in contradiction to the gospel? At one point in his ministry when Jesus is out with his disciples up in the far north of the territory that he goes to, kind of near his hometown, a little bit north of there, he presents to them the fact that the gates of hell will not overcome the kingdom of God. The power of the evil one just is not enough to overcome anything that God's going to do looks like it sometimes. It tries to pretend like it is sometimes, but it's not even close. It's not even in the ballpark. The gates of hell shall not overcome. And this question is part one of repentance, what we talked about from the very beginning. That is, turning from anything that stands in opposition to God and God's will. We're making those promises as God's people in baptism. And the rest of the questions really follow us as the pivot Part two of repentance. So the next question is, do you repent of your sins, confessing Christ as your Savior and Lord and living as his faithful disciple? Passages like Colossians 3 or Galatians 5 talk about sort of the... the The turning from and turning towards. Colossians 3, since then you've been raised with Christ. You know, that we're supposed to put our minds and our hearts on the things of Christ and things above to clothe yourselves with Christ. And it talks about, you know, the wrath of God is coming because of the evil ways that you used to live in. And Paul lists those out. You repent of those and turn towards who Christ is and put him on. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Right before we read about the fruit of the Spirit, what does Paul say? The works of the flesh are obvious. But can I tell us something, brothers and sisters? I don't think we always act like the works of the flesh are obvious. Paul says it, and then he lists out a bunch of them. I don't think we always act like it. Sometimes the things that we watch, play, listen to, the things that we allow to influence our worldview, and they're coming in all the time from all kinds of different streams whether it's politics and politicians or news or influencers. Those things sometimes make the works of the flesh seem pretty appealing. Those things sometimes confuse us if we're not astute in watching what the works of the flesh are. And when Paul says the works of the flesh are obvious, sometimes we don't act like it because we're allowing all of those things to preach at us all week, And allowing them to influence our worldview in a way in contradiction to the gospel. Put a different way, some of us, brothers and sisters, are standing too close to the gates of hell and not close enough to our King. The next question is asked Will you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? And here, a whole lot of things come in as far as church life and what that looks like, but fruitfulness is what we're getting at here. Living into those commitments. 1 Peter 3.21, and this will sound like a baptism saves verse, but I don't think it says that. It says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, listen to how it does it though, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is Christ that saves, not the water. But you can hear that, the pledge of a clear conscience toward God there. Baptism is the mark that we're part of God's family through the power of Christ. Baptism is a mark that we are going to live into those commitments with his people. That that's the way that it's going to happen. And one of the primary and sustaining works, of course we can do all kinds of things within church life, but one thing we have to remember is baptism we do once. One of the sustaining works that we do together is the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper. And it's absolutely crucial that we maintain the, the bond of the spirit of unity and the bond of peace through the Lord's Supper together. Finally, the last question is: empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you do all in your power to participate fully in the life of this congregation? to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If we're at all going to live out the reality of being a new people, it happens locally. You know, when, we, when we're baptized, we're joining something bigger than ourselves. We're joining not just the living church around the world, the body of Christ. We're joining the church that has existed and will exist in the future. But we do that locally. We do that with a local people. Just as Jesus was human, God in a human body. So we do the same thing with local people in a local place. Ephesians 4, 4-7 through 7 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let us remember our baptism this morning.